Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, a podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. My co-host today is Nathan. Hello and thanks for having me. Today's topic, The Dark Knight Rises. It is the final installment in Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight trilogy. The film stars Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne Batman, alongside Michael Caine, Gary Oldman, Anne Hathaway, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Lovett, and Morgan Freeman. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. We've been meaning to get to this one for a while. I think, outside of the Adam West movie, which, you know, was theatrical, this is the only live-action Batman film that hasn't been covered on the podcast, and that's this show, that film stew, and Rewind and Review. So this film is the only one that is missing, and it's very timely because July 2022 is the 10-year anniversary. I cannot believe it's been 10 years since this film first came out. Neither are I, neither can I, man. You and I were talking about this off air before, and I, I, it blows my mind too. It just does not feel like a decade ago. Late last year, I did a rewatch, first time in a while, of the Dark Knight trilogy. Batman Begins, I absolutely love that film to the point where it is my favourite live-action Batman film. For the longest time, it was Batman Returns, but Batman Begins, love that film, five out of five. The Dark Knight, another incredible film. For most people, that is their favourite. For me, yes, it yes. is Begins, but The Dark Knight, another five out of five film for me. So we'll get yeah. to our rating at the very end on this one. Of but course, yeah. Yeah, so I, I mean, wonder what I'm going to come in after yeah. this one, but it's pretty rare to have a film franchise or trilogy to be rated so highly. Of course. I mean, for me, I'll always love Tim Burton's Batman. And that is, that's the Batman I grew up with. And that's the Michael Keaton and Tim Burton, you know, when they did uh, 1989's Batman and uh, 1992's Returns, they were, when we've covered them extensively on this show before, but they are very near and dear to my heart, as as I've said before. So that was my Batman that I came in on, but you can't, uh, discount and pass up what Nolan has done with this trilogy. It is iconic and it is very definitive. Absolutely. And again, I did a full rewatch of the trilogy late last year. And in preparation for this review last night, I went back and watched Rises again, which is out of the three, the longest film. I think it's yeah. like two hours, 40, two hours, 45. So it is it's a, a long, long film. film, but you know what? It doesn't lose anything. All three no. films, like they work so well start to finish every viewing. And I've got to be honest, for that film, shoot, we did a review of The Batman, Robert Pattinson. I yep. gave that movie a very high rating and at the cinema, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. That's like clocking in about three hours. The second viewing, I picked it up on Blu-ray, long watch. Mm. It is a long watch and it, loses for me some of that magic that i got from the first viewing yeah these films though every viewing i mean we'll we'll get into it specifically this film mm. the dark knight rises but as a trilogy absolutely 
yeah, fantastic. Like, so there's, there's so much to unpack. So it's so so, so dense. Christopher Nolan was hesitant about returning to the series for a third film, but agreed after developing a story with his brother Jonathan Nolan and David S. Goyer that he felt would conclude the series on a satisfactory note. Nolan drew inspiration from Bane's comic book debut in 1993 storyline Nightfall, the 1986 series The Dark Knight Returns, and the 1999 storyline No Man's Land. So if you know your comics, those comics specifically, you know what what this film... Exactly, you know what he's referencing. But if you're just watching this as a film, it works so well on its own merits also. Of course, yeah. Nolan used IMAX 70mm film cameras for much of the filming, including the first six minutes of the film, to optimise the quality of the picture. A vehicle variation of the bat plane and bat copter termed the bat an underground prison set and a new Batcave set were created specifically for the film. That opening, it is yeah. incredible. And I realized oh, as yeah. well, like just, you know, it's watching so many movies at home and I've got a big TV, 75 inch. It is a nice TV, but those scenes in particular watching on Blu-ray. Now I don't have these movies on 4k, so standard Blu-ray, no. but still, Having the picture film every inch of the screen is yeah. just incredible. So, yeah. That's the beauty of IMAX, too. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. It really, it opens, I mean, action sequences, right yeah, yeah, are incredible in IMAX. But this movie, IMAX, watching it at home, it just looks incredible. I'm pretty sure Batman versus Superman uh, was also filmed in IMAX for those climatic rooftop scenes. I'd imagine it'd, it'd have some, but, you know, we watched that movie together and I reviewed yep. it for that film, Stu, and it's there's a lot of love for what Zack Snyder brought to DC, you know, starting with of Man of Steel, Batman v Superman. Yeah, I mean, there is. But this, though, it's just, it's hmm. it's, 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 its own its thing. It's thing. Its own it, is, it is its own thing, and I've got to be honest, those... Snyder movies don't have the same rewatch for me that this trilogy of films does. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. The film received positive reviews with praise being directed toward the performances, particularly Hardy's, the action sequences, direction, screenplay, musical score, and emotional depth, with many critics deeming it a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy. The film grossed over $1 billion worldwide, making it the second film in the Batman series to earn $1 billion. The first, of course, being The Dark Knight. It's funny because one of the film's greatest strengths used to really stick, stick in, in, in my craw. It used to really get my goat. And that is the fact that it's grounded in the real world. I never used to like that about it because I came up with, you know, Burton's kind of um, take on Gotham, which was a lot more kind of, uh 80s dark grimy gritty and um art deco sort of looking um but when i thought i thought about it, it in more detail and i revisited it later i thought well no actually this is exactly what no one's trying to do he's trying to ground batman in the real world like imagine if batman 
really existed. He'd be more military, you know, in the terms of his operation, and he'd be more savvy, more tech. And Gotham would look like a city that exists in today's world, um, not you know the Gotham that the comics or Tim Burton's movies. So that's what Nolan's trying to do here. It's 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 the great it's his greatest strength. He's he's trying to re trying to re envision Batman if he really did exist in the real world and using a city like Chicago and also bits of Hong Kong to stand in for Gotham, you know, I, I get what he's trying to do. It's funny, isn't it? It's so a back in 2005 with Batman begins. And then 10 years ago for this film, mm. it was a realistic take on Batman. But then when you look at this year's the Batman, they've mm. taken it further and made it more a real-world take on Batman. And again, as much as I enjoyed that first viewing of the movie, mm. this is my preference, because it's kind of, again, at the time it was the real-life approach, but really, it's still comic booky at times. At times, yeah. this works better for me than the recent Batman film. Yeah, it's like trying to say how can we take something that is essentially a comic book at its at its beating heart and juxtapose it or superimpose it and mash it into the real world? How can we reinterpret this and make it more real world? That's kind of what Nolan's trying to do. And doing very successfully. But honestly, like looking at the Pattinson Batman film again, like love that first viewing. Let's say they get a trilogy out of it, they've already greenlit a sequel. Then mm. after they've wrapped on that trilogy. 10 years from now, they strip the character back even more, have a more realistic street-level take on Batman. At what point will it just stop being Batman? So I yeah, like that there's a lot of Batman elements from the comics in these mm. Nolan films. Mm. That's true. He's, he's remaining faithful to the comics, which is great. He, he doesn't strip them of the of their gravitas or of their importance, their, their iconography and their mythology or lore, because that's Batman's greatest asset. About a year before this movie's release, Nolan mentioned he was considering using a mixture of CGI and deleted scenes from The Dark Knight to have the Joker appear briefly. He ultimately decided it was disrespectful to Heath Ledger. Yeah. His portrayal of the Joker, I mean, what can we say that's not been said already? Phenomenal. He is so good in that film. He really made it his own. He did on the back of Nicholson in '89. Like it's, it's like when that Nicholson is no did tall that. Order. No, but when Nicholson did that in '89, when Mark yeah. Hamill did it in '92 in animation, it's like already two, yeah, definitive takes on that character. What's he going to do? Yeah, the guy I mean, from Ten Things There About You is now going to play yeah. the Joker. Yeah, and everyone laughed at it. Full disclosure, I was one of those people who mocked the decision early on. I was I was one of those people who was a dead set against the casting early on. I thought, this is not going to work. This is stupid. You know, how, how can you have this guy playing Joker? Boy, did he show me. Did he show all of us, you know? And just like you, he's a Perth boy. Yeah, there you go. Props out to the good old, good old Perth, good old Perth town. But I yeah, think it I was the right. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think it was the right approach to not mm. include him at all, even though yeah. like, I think everybody would have liked to have seen more of the Joker. Of course. It's best Speaking, that he got left in that yeah. film. Speaking of, here's, here's something I've heard, and you, I don't know if you can verify this or back this up as truth or as, as fact or not, but I have heard that what no one had planned to do had Ledger obviously have lived 
was obviously use him and include him in the third film and make it like a, a court trial kind of thing where Joker is being put on trial in court and he is ultimately uh, responsible for the scarification of Harvey Dent, um, which makes Harvey become Two-Face because because in under Nolan's direction, it would have been Joker who would have sprayed the, the acid in Harvey's face in court. That's what they, I, I believe he wanted to do, but ultimately the plans were scuttled after Ledger's passing. So he yeah, had to we, do, do we something already, different. That's what I heard. Yeah, but we already got Two-Face before Ledger's passing. Yeah, we we did. We did. We got we got Two Face before Ledger's passing, but yeah. So how could it anyway? Oh, do you mean retroactively? Yeah, I mean, they yeah, were, but like, we, but that's that all plays out in in the Dark Knight. We know how Two Face came to be, but I, yeah. I, I did hear along the lines of what you're saying now that there was plans to feature the Joker in the third film, which after his unfortunate passing, they did have to come up with a new story idea, and that maybe mm. is what meant there was a bit more of a yeah. time difference between films because Begins was 05, 07, I think, was mm. Dark Knight, and then mm-hmm. another five years until we got this film. Yeah. But that's just what I heard. I mean, you can take it or leave it. It's, it probably is a, a load of crap, but that's kind of the talk that was doing the rounds. And it, it's, it's perplexing to me too because, as you say, uh, and as you rightly say, you know, the Joker, the, sorry, the Two-Face storyline was already well and truly cemented before Heath Ledger passed away. And yeah. Two-Face was dead. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. This is, um, this is interesting, a breakdown of the three films. Nolan said that this movie's theme deals with pain. For Batman Begins, it was fear, while The mm. Dark Knight dealt with chaos. So I like that there's three strong mm. themes Across yeah. three films. That's pretty apparent too. Christian Bale back as Bruce Wayne, Batman. I mean, I'd say out of any, and I mean any actor that has ever played Bruce Wayne, Christian Bale looks like Bruce Wayne. If you go back and you watch American Psycho, he looks like Bruce Wayne there. I think they nailed it. And I love it in Begins when he goes to the restaurant and mm-hmm. he's got two women with him and they're playing yeah, in the water. I and, this, I remember the and he's scene. playing yeah. the, you know, the, the Playboy drunk guy. And yeah, I think oh, I'd go as far as saying that he's my favorite live action Bruce Wayne. He does a good job of portraying that Playboy lifestyle of Bruce to distract people and not make people clue into the fact that Bruce is Batman. He makes that believable. You know, he he does that really well. He handles the duality well. You know, I've got to be honest, right? I I have so much more love for this film now and watching it as a trilogy. Mm. When I first watched it, and maybe for a few years afterwards, because I watched this as a new release at the cinema, I could not wait. I rushed out to watch it. And then early in the film, you find out that... And I'm saying this Bruce Wayne, this Batman, because there's only these three films. There's not Mm. comic book tie-ins. There's not animated series. There's nothing Mm. else. So this Batman exists in in this trilogy only. But watching The Dark Knight Rises for the first time, and then you're told that Bruce Wayne stops being Batman 
for eight years because of a broken heart. I was like, what? And he's living as a recluse. He's got the beard. He's got the yeah. walking stick. And you're like, what is happening? But again, yeah. like watching it as a whole, it really does work. And again, just, and because when we first watched it, like this was the third film. Now we know it's a definitive trilogy. But as mm. a third film, you're like, you know, where else could it go? Are we going to get a fourth, yeah. fifth film? Like what? What is going to happen after this film? Wouldn't it be tantalizing? Wouldn't it be a tantalizing prospect if Bale reprised the role? Um, there was talk that, you know, if if uh, Christopher Nolan was involved, then Christian Bale would be down. He said he would say, yeah, absolutely, let's do it. It would be really interesting to see if, where they could go with it. I mean, you could tie it into the multiverse thing. You could tie it into what's happening now with Keaton and with Affleck. What if, you know, if there was a, a visitation by Bale's um, iteration of Batman as well. That would be so interesting a proposition, I think. I mean, now it's like, you know, with the Flash movie and everything else that's happening, you know, the crisis on Infinite Earth TV rule it show out. or TV crossover they did recently. Yeah, you can't, you can't rule it out. For the longest time, though, Bale has said, this is it. He didn't enjoy wearing the suit, not the, you know, suits, but the, the costume, the bat suit. Yeah. Yeah, and he and he's he had no intention of going back. It's now what it you're talking about there. Heart. Yep, recent interviews is mm. where he's come out and said only if Nolan is attached, he's back yeah, writing, yeah. directing Woody. So that's it's if interesting. The were right. It's yeah. interesting, but you know when you've got an almost perfect trilogy, do you dare mm. make? Yeah, do you really want movie or do, yeah? Do you really want to change or sully its legacy? Yep. We can get to a speculation on what possibly happens next or what we would like to think happens next at the at the end of the review. But yeah, once again, like Bale is fantastic here. But again, mm. he's not being Batman, broken heart. He can barely walk. He's got no cartilage or next to no cartilage left in his joints. Yeah. And what does he do? He straps up his leg painfully i might add and then kicks an owl in a concrete post <laughs> so it's like wow that's um that's that's some strong Dedication. leg brace <laughs> yeah must be <laughs> yeah man the the story though like what we're getting in this is like you know and the name of the film the title the dark knight rises can can mean so many different things um, yeah, i remember you telling me your take off here yeah, yeah, and we'll probably, well, we'll no doubt get into it, but he has stopped being Batman, and it's like, and he does come back, and he comes back in a really good fashion. Like, there's been no Batman sightings for eight years, and when he does come back, that scene that involves Bane's men, and it's the underground car park, the police chase, the cops, you've got the right. older cop, you've got the younger cop beside him. Yeah, and and what does he say? He says, "Oh, you're in for a show tonight." And this young guy's like, That's "What? Right. What's what's happening?" The lights go out, and then you've got Batman Boom. on the bat pod. Yeah. All that is excellent. When he, when he jumps down and crushes that car, that was so cool. Oh, it really is. And you've got you've got that cop. So no longer is Gordon in charge, and you've got mm. Matthew Modine. You know, he was in Full Metal Jacket recently, yeah. the Stranger Things TV series. And he wants nothing but to stop 
Batman to bring down yeah. the man who everybody believes killed Harvey Dent because they don't know yeah. about Two Face. Yeah. I love how they tied into that that first movie, and they they trap him. He's in a dead end, and all the cops are waiting outside. And that ridiculous bat vehicle, which I love so much, comes mm. flying out. It was a great return for Batman. But he awesome. fails. He absolutely fails. I mean, he's going up against Tom Hardy's Bane. We get him in that opening. I mean, Tom yeah. Hardy, I'd seen him in lots of things, like starting in like UK TV shows, and then he started mm. doing movies. And he is a monster in this. Like he's, He worked, he he's worked out like a son of a gun. Yeah. I mean, he, he gained 30 pounds, which for us, 14 kilograms for the role. So increasing his weight to 200 pounds, so 90 Insane. kilograms. What a jump in, in mass. And yeah, and he is. He's huge in this and he's menacing. But one thing that I did here years ago is that initially what Nolan wanted, and for it to be authentic, he mm. wanted the sound of Bane to be what you hear. So when they're shooting the scenes and Bane's got the costume, the apparatus, yeah. he wanted that to be what the audience would hear. So it wouldn't be overly clear, but it didn't yeah. really work. So No, and the studio didn't like it. No, so Hardy had to go back and he had to redo all his lines. Yeah, clearly. And, oh, yeah, clearly. And honestly... Mm. Uh, the voice that the voice he chose to use, like, and again, you know, Batman quits Broken Heart. The voice mm. of Bane. There's some things that that first viewing was just it was throwing me off, and it wasn't quite working for me. And full disclosure, now it does. Like now, I'm into it. You know, I really am. I mean, it it's it's just weird. It's an like, easy, you expect- it's an easy voice to mock. And do an impression yeah, of like Kevin Smith it's, it's, it's has really, been doing it for years on his podcast. Yeah. Does he does he actually do the voice? He does, and he sounds close to it, to be fair. And he's done really? it yeah, by his own admission. By his own admission, he can't do many impressions. I think he could do Winnie the Pooh and, and Bane, I've the got Tom to, Hardy. I've, I have not I've not heard, heard Smith's take on it. I've got to hear him do it. Because it's jarring, like you say, when you you hear Bane do it, you hear Hardy deliver the lines, and it, you get this really strange clipped. English accent. He's like, it would be painful for you. And you're like, what? I mean, doing prep for this, I didn't know that he'd actually based the voice on somebody. Well, he's got several influences, which mm. include Bartley Gorman, who was an Irish traveler who was the undefeated bare knuckle boxing champion of the UK. Wow. So that is where he's getting the basis. And it sounds like he was a tough guy. And obviously, Hardy is playing a tough guy. So, yes, yeah, he's so got the voice. See where he's going with it. He's a bit comical, but again, now with context and it does it does work and he's wearing anyway. I'm, I'm okay with the voice now. It took me, <laughs> it took me a while. So he's he's bulked up, but as well as that, Hardy who stands at five foot nine inches had to wear yeah. three inch lifts to make yeah, his character he's not a very tall appear. guy. That was my next well, point. Yeah. And he had to appear as tall or taller than co-stars, Christian Bale, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine. He needed to appear big, tall and menacing. Big and menacing. Yeah. And you completely get that 
from this film. I mean, he's not the first actor to play Bane in live action. He's the second. But he's the best. Well, the first actor I mean, the, come on, was... The, the, Bane, the Bane we got <laughs> in Batman Forever well, that way well, too comical. Batman Forever. No, that's what you said. Batman and Robin. So that's... That's, That's where we got Bane, played by Robert Svensson. So yes, this is I mean, very. This is a very different take on the character. I mean, then in that movie, it was just a henchman for Poison Ivy. Whereas yeah. in this film, he's the big bad. The first film we got Raz Al Ghul, we got Scarecrow, who mm. Killian Murphy as Crane is in all three films. Mm. Only villain to do so. Second yeah. film, obviously Joker, and then this film is Bane. So I like that, for the most part, each film has a distinctive villain, and it's not yeah, overcrowded. And yeah, and it's funny because no one kind of stayed away from all the other rogues. He didn't touch Penguin. Um, you do see Catwoman, you know, in in Rises. Oh, that's um, a good point. But, actually, yes, we we absolutely get Catwoman. Yeah, you know, yep. sometime bad guy, good guy. But she's mm. in this, and Hathaway, I think, is incredible in this. I uh, love the, isn't she? You know, I love the design because you know this is like supposed to be a real world approach. But mm. she's a cat burglar. She's in the black spandex. Yeah, she's got the goggles. Yeah. When she puts the goggles up on her head, they look like cat ears. Mm. Really cool. good approach to the design. And she handles the. Um, she handles Catwoman's ambiguousness really well as well, because you never know whether Selena's a good person or a bad person, or a, 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 you know, a villain or a hero, and she kind of straddles that line. Well, it's like Catwoman always has been, you know, starting in the comics, like she's she's a layered character, and she's not yeah. all good, she's not all bad, and sometimes she's going to be out for herself and her friends, and sometimes mm. she's going to work yeah. alongside Batman. She only looks out for number one, yeah. You know, at about an hour into the film, when Selena Kyle disappears from a rooftop, Batman's mm. remark. So that's what that feels like. That is lifted <laughs> directly from Kingdom Come. Well, in that series, though, the circumstance is similar, except it was with Superman. But I like that. You know what? I like they've lifted that. That's good. Do you know what I love most about Nolan's trilogy? And it's something you wouldn't think, come to think of. It's not something that's immediately apparent. What's that? Uh, Gary Oldman as Jim Gordon. He just looks like Jim Gordon. He is Jim Gordon. He just embodies James Gordon. And I think that's brilliant casting. And I love that. The, the, to me, that's the, the like, because the Gordon of, of, of Burton's movies was just kind of redundant and useless. Um, but this Jim Gordon, man, he just looks apart. And you get you buy that he's a, a downtrodden, beaten down cop. You get that he had to fake his own death, and that pissed his wife off you know, to no end because she thought he really was dead. And she slaps him when you know when he reappears, you know. And you can see the frustration. You can see the pain of his relationship. You can see the pain of his job. You can see the the the, the frustration in his job when Joker beats him to the punch again and makes off with the money and just leaves a small amount for him, and he kicks that pile of money out of frustration. Like, uh, and then, but uh, through it all, you know, he's Batman's his ally and, you know, Batman says stuff to him in the, in the, the third movie. And then that gives Gordon reason to kind of put two and two together and go, ah, he's Bruce Wayne, but he never lets, let's go of that secret. He keeps it to himself. Gordon's with, a revelation throughout this trilogy. With this casting, they've absolutely 
peaked with Gary Oldman. Yeah. Like before, you know, you've said it before, he's as a single line of dialogue, he looks mm-hmm. like Jim Gordon. Kind Visually, perfect casting, but beyond that, the performance, he's mm. stellar. Like this is such a great Gordon. But yeah, he's incredible. And as you say, like the, the end of the movie, in fact, it's worth pointing out that in this film, it is the first time in live action that Gordon has found out that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Yeah. And it's that and line of dialogue he, that you're talking about. You know, it could be something as simple as yeah. putting your coat on a young boy. Towards the end of the film, yeah, it was a, a good way of him finding out the true identity. But yeah, this is, this is such a great Gordon. Yeah. I love that he just sits on that information. He doesn't choose to, to kind of, you know, out, out Bruce's Batman. He's like, he's like, this guy's busting his ass to save this city. I'm going to respect him and keep this guy's identity under wraps. That's I really mean, good he, he finds out moments, minutes, before he believes that mm. Batman's there anyway. So it would mm. serve no purpose to the public to know the identity, no. and Batman is more powerful as a symbol. And that's essentially what Bruce wanted. Like He never intended to be yeah. Batman forever. He wanted to start a movement, not necessarily the copycat Batman no, in the sequel. that would always... That would always be in place to, to keep Gotham safe. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, always a highlight, and it is disappointing that we only get him in one film. Joseph mm. Gordon, love it, as John Blake, a young cop whose instincts lead him to believe that there is trouble on the horizon, is promoted to detective by Gordon when the elder cop saw something of himself within the youngster. And I do like that approach because you know in all three films like gordon always seems to be having to second guess himself like who can i trust in the mm. department and then you've got this yeah, cop who's not crooked yeah yes you've got this cop in john blake and you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna say it now so again first viewing i didn't like quits being batman bane's voice and what felt like the shoehorning at the end of the film that this character was actually Robin all along. Not Dick Grayson, not any other iteration of the character, but his full name name is actually Robin John Blake. And what's interesting about that, that I didn't Mm. know until now. So Mm. what happened, it wasn't until the film was finished did Joseph Gordon Lovett know that the woman said Robin. Because yeah. you don't see her, you hear her as he's walking away. So, because nothing, yeah. they didn't want anything to leak. Even Bruce Wayne's tombstone at the end, it didn't yeah. actually say Bruce Wayne when the actors were there because Nolan wanted to keep it a secret. Yeah. But that's how they tied Batman and Robin you, into this. Yeah, film. I'm glad you touched on that because I always had this sneaking suspicion that Gordon Levitt's character was indeed, for all intents and purposes, you know, Dick Grayson. Or Robin. I mean, even there's even a telltale thing. There's a, a logo in the film that you see for a football team or, or a cheerleading or a mascot, some kind of mascot, something like that. I forget, but it's in there. And it's the very distinct R for Robin. You see it. Yeah. And that's and another even, visual clue. Even the like the kid at the orphanage, and he's got the chalk and he's on the pavement, and he's mm. what he's doing is a bat symbol. Mm. But 
I took it also, it looked like he was drawing Nightwing, and this was before I watched the film, and that was the yeah. album cover of the, the soundtrack as well, the score. So I thought mm. maybe we were getting Nightwing, and I guess this is kind of what you were alluding to before, and like what I've said before and speculating, you know, this movie and talking about how the film does or could have different meanings mm. with its title, The Dark Knight Rises. Right. This, this is my takeaway. The yep. title of this film is about John Blake. Yes, it's he was groomed. He was being, being groomed. The groomed very, the very last shot of this film, like because we do see that Bruce is alive. Because yeah. I mean, Michael Caine, phenomenal once again as Alfred. Yeah, but he said to Bruce, didn't he, before he walked out? And anyway, that was a whole thing. And it was a bit of tough love, like, hey, you need to stop this, and I'm not going to be here. I'm going to stop helping you, encouraging you. So Alfred leaves for like most of the film. Bye-bye, Michael Caine. He's gone. It's not until the end when he actually comes back. But we get that scene, don't we, in, yeah. in France? The cafe, yeah. The cafe. And we know, we know that... Batman Bruce survives. Alive. Everyone thinks yeah. that Batman is dead, including Alfred, which I've got to be honest, dick moved by Bruce, like putting him through that. But then it's yeah. mentioned as well, like when they're like taking stock of everything at Wayne Manor and the divvying up where everything's going to go, they make yeah. reference to the fact that the pearls are gone. And that was mm. Martha Wayne's pearls. And yes. Anne Hathaway, she's wearing them at the end. So she's mm. got the pearls. So we know that it's not a dream sequence because after the film came out, People were like, oh, it wasn't really concrete. Is he alive? Is he not? He is alive. He's no longer Batman. He left the secrets to being Batman for John Blake. And the very final scene of the film, it is literally the character John Blake rising. Yeah. The Dark Knight Rises. So, yeah. So he, he was groomed to be the next Batman all along. So if there was going to be another one, would it even be Christine Bale? Or would no, he come back yeah. as a mentor and yeah. Blake would, would be, be like a, like a, be like a Bruce, Wayne, Bruce Wayne, Terry McGinnis situation? That's what I was going to say. That's what it could have been like or end up being like. But again, it works as, as a trilogy. But um, yeah, mm, it, he is such a good character like, in this. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a definitive trilogy, as you, as you said from the outset. But it's almost like no one very succinctly and sneakily leaves the door open for the world of possibility beyond beyond rises. And that's it. It works as the end, or it works as setting up a spin-off. Yeah. Like, well, there's an old saying, it's an old Zen saying, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. So not to get all philosophical. Well, we could talk a little bit about Michael Caine, Alfred. Yeah. I have loved every moment of Kane as Alfred, but from yeah. the very first scene in Begins, and even going back as far as the first trailer, it's Michael Kane doing Michael Kane. I mean, nobody does it better. Yeah. Most comedians have got a, or most impressionists have got a Michael Kane impression. The Lamborghini dancer. There we go. In these films, like Michael Kane always sounds like Michael Kane, one hundred percent. But he is Michael Caine, and it's it's okay. It's crazy. That's, that's, the, that's the weird thing about it. When you hear Michael Caine doing Alfred, it's still not Alfred. It's Michael Caine with a Michael Caine accent doing Alfred, isn't it? I'm going to blame our recording equipment on that impression. <laughs> What's that? I'm going to blame our recording equipment on your impression. 
maybe it not sounding as good as you want it to. But yes, oh, I'm joking. I jest. And uh, I thought, okay, I thought I butchered it, but he does. No, that's, that, that is literally what I'm saying. But let's just let's just let's just move on. His um, what is it? His Cockney accent. Uh, just you know, you can't not hear Michael Caine when he does the voice. Yeah, absolutely. So that's yeah, but it works. It absolutely works. And as well as him, we've got Morgan Freeman back as Lucius Fox. Lucius Fox. And, yep. Yep. I mean, these movies, like, so well cast, like, incredible. And yeah. for the most part, outside of Katie Holmes, they've always, you know, brought the actors back. And just having Freeman and Kane in a movie together, sharing screen time together, you know, I never get get tired of seeing that. And it's alluded to, isn't it? You know, in that first movie, mm-hmm. The Tumblr, Bruce is testing yep. it out, and Lucius is like, what do you think? Does it come in black? And, you yeah, know, and he's like, well, huh, let me think knows. about that. Like, he knows. He, of course he does. Like, you there's, know, even that they... scene, there's, even, there's even that scene in this movie where um, someone tries to call him out on it and Lucius is like, are you telling me that you think the richest man in the world secretly masquerades as Batman? And he, and he, try, he puts it in such a way that it could, it could be, it's, it's a ludicrous thing to think. And it totally puts that, that guy who's trying to scam him out of all that money in his place. But they they always talk about it without actually saying what they're talking about. It's not until this yeah. film when Lucius is talking about the vehicle and he's like, mm. he's got he's got a long Wayne Enterprises name. I call mm. it the Bat. Yeah, which is you know ah genius, brilliant because we get Gordon at the end. It's finally said out loud he knows now that bruce is batman but it's the first yeah. time that without beating around the bush they're on the same page and we've always known of course it's obvious yeah. but it was nice hearing lucius acknowledge batman. yeah yeah absolutely and then you when bruce is clearly enamored of all of all his um of all his vehicles and gadgetry i mean there's that scene where uh catwoman sees the the, the batwing and she's like nice toy and he's in no yeah, that's right. Nice toy. And he's in the cockpit and he's like, it's not a toy. <laughs> what about the whole thing between Lucius and Wayne? And then Lucius, and then Lucius is like the, you know, he's talking about the autopilot. And that's like that's yeah. a big part in the finale. That's how Batman survives or Bruce survives. Yeah. And Lucius says something along the lines of, it'll take, you know, space, somebody smarter than me. And then he's like, oh, actually, you know, I'm being modest somebody with more time on their hands. And that was a nice yeah. reveal at the end when Lucius is like, he's beating up, beating himself up and he's like, oh, if only I'd have fixed the autopilot. And that guy's mm. like, somebody did. I think it was like six months ago or something. And he's like, who did mm. it? And he goes, Bruce Wayne. Ah, and that was a good setup nah. for the reveal with Alfred. Yeah, because Bruce was always, in the comics, Bruce is always tinkering around with his machinery and with his gadgets. Well, that's it. I mean, Alfred... Alfred was the guy who stitched him back together whenever he got, you know, the crap beaten out of him or near dead. But it was Bruce who was always tinkering around with the mechanics of his things. Yeah, definitely. John Mendelssohn appears as John Daggett. He's the rival billionaire who thinks Bane is working for him. When in actual fact, he ends up, well, not working for Bane, but Bane is in control there's that scene just before Bane kills him where mm. he puts his hand out on his shoulder. I did mm. read that was Hardy's idea. That wasn't really? actually scripted. He put it there as uh, just like, just to look 
like he's holding the power. Mm. Like it kind of sets the scene. And then when you're cutting away and you just hear him screaming. Yeah. Very well done. Mendelssohn, Ozzy, always like it when he turns up yeah. in things, whether it's Star Wars, the MCU, the indie cinema. That's right. He's a scroll in the MCU. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yeah. He's, um, he's excellent. So he's not in this a lot, but he does play a crucial part. And then we've got Burn yeah. Gorman as Daggett. He's his assistant um, that doesn't stick around too long, or he's the vice president working under him. But yeah, he doesn't stick around too long. Um, yeah. Oh, Judo Temple as Jen, who is Selena Kyle's friend and accomplice. So we've had this type of character before in the comics, only she's Holly Robinson. She featured in Batman Year One. So I guess that's kind of what they're looking to for inspiration with this mm. character. Don't we also get Charlie or Al Ghul? Yeah, we do, that's which be, was the yeah. reveal. Because what the film wants us to believe, which I'd say is successfully, well, does that successfully, because I believed it, is that they were changing things up and Bane was the son of Ra's al Ghul. Bruce believes it, and mm. we believe it also until it is revealed that we've got Marion Cartillard as Miranda Tate, revealed to be Talia al Ghul. And they yeah, start and having Aaron. a bit of romance, which we've got in the comics, uh, but it's, yeah. um, it's different here. But yeah, she's revealed to be the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, we yeah, get, she's pulling the strings all along. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And we do get Neeson back, kind of. Yes. As far as I'll read the card. Yeah. yeah which he, it's weird cool. That's weird because Neeson sort of um, is a dual role. He starts out as Henri Descartes, and then it turns out that Henri Descartes, Henri Descartes is a front exactly. for Ghul. Yeah, so he, he is always Razal Ghul, but then that was just an alias mm. that he had. Which you know, different to the comics, but it works. Yeah, in the comics, the card is, is is a separate person. Yeah, yeah. But Talia Al Ghul, yeah, she, she is really good in this and doesn't survive the film, just like her father in Batman Begins. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it makes sense that Ra's Al Ghul is back because of the Lazarus Pits. He can never truly die. Did you notice in this recent viewing? Because I guess it's. Mm. I've seen Joker a couple of times now with Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Brett Cullen is in this film. He plays a US congressman who is kidnapped by Selena Kyle and she's in the bar and he's and she's using him as a way to get away from the bad guys before the police okay. come in. Right, well, mm -hmm. he plays Thomas Wayne in Joker. Well. So he's an actor that's been in two Batman films playing a different character. There you go. But this recent viewing, I'm like, hang on a minute. He looks just like Thomas Wayne from Joker. <laughs> that's probably because he is. Exactly. <laughs> but I had to look it up just to um, double check. Yeah. Um, the Batsu has changed over these films. I think the biggest difference was between mm. Begins and Dark Knight. Where I think the biggest... Yeah, well, I was going to say Bale still had the same problem that every Batman before him had had, uh, yes. not being able mm -hmm. to turn his head. And that's yes. why when he's got Rachel in the Batmobile and he's racing to get the antidote for the toxin that she has in her system, yeah. 
he's kind of moving his whole body to turn and look at her. Whereas in The Dark Knight, it's more like a bicycle helmet. Like everything's made up of like different parts. So he's able to be more mobile than wearing Swivel his head, yeah. That's the thing. It's instantly recognizable that the cow in this movie is a lot more movable and he has more range of motion with his head because like you say, it's more of a bike helmet looking thing. That moves. It's in, yeah. it's independent of the rest of his suit. Yeah, it's like a bike helmet with the with the bat ears. But yeah, it's yeah. Well, so I could see that there was more moving parts in this film. But what I didn't know until looking into it further, the bat suit consisted of one hundred and ten separate pieces. Mm. That is a lot. The base layer was made of a like a polyester mesh utilized by the military and high-tech sports manufacturers due to its breathability and moisture-retaining properties. Molded Mm. pieces of flexible urethane were then attached to the mesh to form the overall body armor plating. Carbon Mm. fiber panels were placed inside the sections on the legs, chest, and abdomen. The cowl was sculpted from a cast of Bale's face and head to become a Mm. perfect fit for Bale. So that's why it fits as well as it does, especially around his mouthpiece. But of course, he's got the black around the eyes, just like all the Batman actors do. It's awesome, though. I just wish he had the glowing eyes like Affleck's. Yeah, but that's when he was in the armoured suit, though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, it it makes sense. We talked about Bruce being and Batman being real, more real world and grounded more in the real world with, with this trilogy. And all the things you just mentioned, the, all the elements that go into the design of the suit certainly play to that. And they give him more of a real world feel. You know, an like, interesting through line in all three of the Dark Knight movies, the spiked yep. gauntlets on Batman's arms proved to be mm-hmm. essential in defeating the main villain. They shatter yep. Ra's al Ghul's sword in Batman Begins, knock the detonator out of Joker's hands in The Dark Knight and damage yep. Bane's mask in this movie. And then which point Bane flies into a psychotic rage. Oh, you know, Remember another that? thing. Yes, he does. Another thing about these films, tiny batarangs. They are so small. I mean, when when he uses them for the first time in this film, in the third act, and, yeah. the, and the, when he's throwing them and they're hitting people, they start falling down unconscious. That's okay. Yeah. So, okay, the, the like poison darts. But in the comics and other versions of Batman on screen, live action, animation, the Batarangs are always a lot bigger. Whereas yeah. the tiny in these I films. must admit, I must admit, I love the design of the more recent Affleck style Batarangs, how they're just bigger and have more edge to them. And they look like chunky, like a big chunky bat. They're not so small. I'd agree I like with that. that look a lot more. Yeah, I like yeah, that. bigger works better. I mean, I like the the use of batarangs in the Batman, where he actually it fits into place on his chest to make up the the bat emblem. Pulls them oh, out nice. of his chest, uses them, then puts them back on his chest. But yeah, in this film, they are tiny. Mm. It's worth it's worth mentioning actually the difference in like the drastic changes in fighting styles across all three films. Going yeah. back to Begins, the fight scenes are shot predominantly with shaky cam technique, which I mm. guess it has always worked for me because often it's a scene at night, like a scene in the docks where we first mm. see Batman and you kind of, you feel like you're, you're 
in the middle of all the action. You feel like right, you're getting yeah. thrown around the place. So it does work in that film, but whereas in this movie, the fight scenes were shot very smoothly with little to no shaky cam style. And I guess The Dark Knight was somewhere in between the two. Mm. When Gordon's on the ice and he's basically is is set out on the ice to die. There's him, there's others. Batman had his back broken by Bane, you know, going back to Nightfall, double-crossed by Selina Kyle, and he is put in the same prison that Bane was in as a boy, but then you find out that he was older looking after Talia, and she didn't use the harness, she was able to escape. Yeah. Bruce is there himself, there's a little TV, and he's able to watch what is happening in Gotham. In Gotham, yeah. Unable to do anything about it. So Batman returns twice. We talked about the scene, the underground car park, and then he returns here. And it is a great uh, return on the yeah, ice. He, mir- <laughs> he miraculously recovers and heals from a broken back by doing a bunch of push-ups and chin-ups. Well, he also wears a leg brace and kicks holes in concrete. So he can do things in this movie. It's still mm. a comic book movie where you've got to mm. go along certain things. But he was yeah. strung up on that rope, wasn't he? Like old school healing. Like you're gonna yeah. you're gonna hang here from the rope until you can stand independent of it. And then gradually, yeah, and he starts doing push-ups. Yeah, it's okay. is fine. Yeah. We go along with it. And it's a good return yep, yeah. for the second time. Yeah. There's a flare on the ground. Batman approaches Gordon. Gordon lights the what was it like petrol or whatever's on the on the ice. Yep. And then we see the bat signal on the bridge and the the shock and the surprise from Bane. Like, like holy he, shit. Yeah, back. like yeah. he's back. Like, I, I don't believe it. That all works for me so well. And then the fight between Batman and Bane. So this film, like the finale, like third act, we do get a lot of things wrapped up. There's a lot of satisfaction that comes with it. Um, yeah, there's just, there's so much, so much to like. And a lot of that credit you've got to give to Hans Zimmer as well. The first yes. two films had two composers, James Newton Howard. They worked on it together. But mm. I guess because Zimmer had worked with Nolan again on Interstellar, I think maybe there was another film. James Newton Howard kind of figured, you know, three's a crowd. So maybe you guys yeah. just finished the trilogy. And yeah, this is. A great score. Oh, the I mean, the theme that we get for for Bane, that yeah. was really cool as well. Where it was the it's more of a chanting than the music. Like over yeah. and over, it features the term Deshi Basa, which is I've probably butchered that, which is Moroccan for the word rise. Wow. It's used for Bane, and then it's also when Bruce is rising out of the hole. Yeah, that's right. And he climbs up out of the prison. Should probably also talk about the uh, the football stadium scene. That was pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the main things used in the marketing for the film, wasn't it? You talked about mm. the football players with the R. Yeah, so we'd seen that a lot. But yeah, and it's... All these films, it's escalation. Like everything's getting bigger. Like the runtime yeah, from yeah, film yeah. to More film is getting bigger. Destruction. The destruction. We've got the police blowing the bridges. You know, you've yeah. got John Blake. Ah, it's yeah. The the big set pieces. I mean, big. That's the key yeah. word, isn't it? 
everything it's is kind of interesting because it makes you brings you in line with the comics you kind of think if you were a, if you were a citizen of gotham and all this all this stuff was going down in your city how would you be directly impacted you know you, your your road in and out of the city would be blocked you couldn't get in or out um you'd be stuck in the city what if you've got loved ones who live on the other side of town or if you're blocks away are they impacted your friends are they impacted you know it makes you think more about in those terms as well like the wholesale wholesale damage that's happening to gotham and how you would deal with it directly as a resident what we get here is batman inspiring and it's what mm. I, for me it's when comic book movies work best where the superhero isn't just single-handedly saving the day they uh, are inspiring cooperation yeah it's what worked for me so well about the first wonder woman film mm. where gal gadot as wonder woman she reveals her costume for the first time, World War One, and then the soldiers that are accompanying her, they're ducking for safety. But when they see her mm. go out and she's drawing the fire, they yeah. see that as an opportunity and they're inspired. Like, hey, if she's yeah. doing this, we're going to do it also. And we get it in this film where you've mm. got... I mentioned Matthew Modine already. So he is playing... Peter Foley, Gordon's second in command. He's got the disdain yep. of Batman. You know, he lets Bane's guys go earlier in the film. He's not been a he's no longer being a police officer, he's staying home with family. I mean, unfortunately, the character does die, and you've got to feel for his wife and kids mm. at home. But he is inspired along with the rest of the police force to stand up against Bane. Yeah, yeah sure. So I wish speaking of the GCPD and Gordon, I wish we got, you know, Bullock. And Montoya um, and all those characters. I would have loved to have seen them make their appearances too, but it is what it is. Still I mean, doesn't again, take, doesn't take away from it. The runtime. It's yeah. already such a big, you know, a yeah. big trilogy. Like start adding other characters outside of what's already included here. And you're then gonna have to say who they are, give them something yeah, yeah, worthwhile yeah, to do. But I get what you're saying though. They're characters we know from previous films and cartoons. Would have been nice. Even just a cameo, just even just a, a visual nod and wink, you know, or a miss a blink and you miss it cameo. There was a character in 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 um Batman Begins who I th actually thought for all intents and purposes was Bullet Bullock, but it wasn't. It was some other guy named Flass, and he was a crooked cop. Flass, and he's lifted directly from Batman Year One, the Frank Miller yeah. comics. Yeah. Going back to Hans Zimmer, the film yep. score that plays when Bruce supposedly dies is the same score that played when his parents died in Batman Begins. So talk mm. about coming full circle. Yeah. This is all very well planned by Nolan, obviously. So this film, if you're going to rate it out of five. It's iconic. It's a five. You... um. You can't come in any less with 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 to, to, uh, for the capstone of an iconic such an iconic trilogy. I mean, it's I think in all fairness, it's not my favorite iteration of Batman on screen, but it's one that I have to respect, and it's one that I wouldn't dare to to try and um, to sully, you know, or crap on. Um, so I've got to come in at nothing less than a five. It's it, it was they were great films, and I I still to this day hold up the Dark Knight, which was the centerpiece of the trilogy as one of the greatest pieces of comic book filmmaking of all time. Um, and that's a pretty, that's a, I know it's a big, huge thing to say, but I think it's, I think it's valid. And I think no one was ballsy. I think ballsy is the right word. He was ballsy with this trilogy as he did things 
different and outside of the box. And he really grounded Batman in, in the real world. And that's something that hadn't been done previously because, you know, he he's so enshrined in, in comic book lore and mythology. And a lot of directors and actors have wanted to keep that, which is great. And I like that. But you've got to give it to, to Christopher Nolan for, for doing something different with the character, giving us a different take, giving us a take that feels more real world and, but, and just... Uh, but still staying true to what Batman is. And like, as you said very early in the outset of this podcast, he's an idea and he's meant to inspire the citizens of his city. So I loved it. Five out of five for the trilogy and for this film. I mean, for the reasons that I've given, you know, how I used to feel about this film compared to now, I've mentioned, I've lost track of many times. I've mentioned the fact that he quits being Batman for eight, year, eight years due to having a broken heart. Hmm. So for the longest time, this wasn't a perfect film for me. I have grown to like it more and more over the years. And if I'm honest, it's probably sat around a four out of five for the longest time. Watching it again for this review, and even as we were reviewing it, I was thinking more of a 4.5 out of five. But do you know what? As a trilogy, and it... Well, it is literally a beginning, middle, and end Batman story. And That's we may never get that again. So what I'm going to do is rate... Well, I'm not... Okay. I was going to say I'm going to rate the trilogy. I've already given five for Begins, five for The Dark Knight. What I'm going to do for this film, I'm going to give it five also. And then just stand by the Nolan trilogy... Mm. It's been a five out of five trilogy. And it's just come out thing. and say, yeah. perfect. So many viewings later and, you know, I watched this as a standalone film last night, watching it as a film, watching it as part of the trilogy. It is such a good film, great experience. And yes, yeah, so I'm going to come in at a five out of five for this film. Well, it's its own work of art. It's its own thing. And that's what it should always be. It will always and should always be remembered as its own animal, separate of any any other iteration of Batman that's ever been attempted. It's ballsy, as I said. That's it. Well, that's it for our episode all about The Dark Knight Rises. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic from upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Nathan, thanks for being on the show today. Always a pleasure, never a chore. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.